This is The Guardian. Gegenseitiger Respekt ist die Basis für ein gutes Gespräch. Im Netz ist das alles andere als selbstverständlich. Und woher zur Hölle willst du das wissen? So eine vorlotte Bitch wie dich sollte man an den Herd fesseln, dir dein Handy wegnehmen und... und wir feiern dich dafür, dass du dich als Frau nicht unterkriegen lässt. Keine Angst, du bist hier nicht allein. Wir alle entscheiden, ob wir das Netz dem Hass überlassen. Werde Teil der Telekom-Initiative gegen Hass im Netz und setze ein Zeichen. Telekom. Chances are, you know someone who's currently wondering if that sore throat, cough or runny nose might be something other than a cold. Yes, it's the C word, COVID-19. It has reared its head again. And with another new variant emerging and worries about the waning immunity in the population, the government has brought forward the winter vaccination programme and says testing and surveillance will be scaled up in England. So do we actually need to worry about this new variant? And over three years on from the initial outbreak, how prepared are we to face another winter of infections? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. So with me today to discuss all things COVID is Ian Sample, science editor and of course my fellow Science Weekly host. Hello Ian. Hi Maddie. So Ian, where do we currently stand in terms of COVID cases? What kind of rates in the population are we seeing at the moment? Well, they've been pretty low. We saw a slight pickup around July this year. That seems to have leveled off a little bit, but you have to sort of bear in mind that a lot of the testing that was there, you know, this time last year and the year before just is not being done anymore. But largely based on sort of hospital testing, there are about just under maybe 4,000 cases a day in England, and the deaths are running about one or two a day. And the government has announced that they are planning to scale up testing and surveillance, although we haven't yet got any details on what that's going to look like. But where do we stand at the moment? So if you think back to the height of the pandemic, we were doing an awful lot of surveillance. People were getting their LFTs out, testing themselves and sending those results into the government. We had the Office of National Statistics doing their national infection survey, which was absolutely one of the sort of gold standard surveys that was going on throughout the, the height of the pandemic. We had Imperial doing their REACT study, which was also testing people to see who was infected, who wasn't. We had a really good handle on what the cases were. Now, the ONS survey has paused, but it's not running. Let's put it like that. It hasn't been running since March. The Imperial survey has closed down. And also COG UK, which were the group that were doing the really world-class genetics work, that also is no longer working. So the surveillance going on at the moment is largely in hospitals and also through a sort of more broader respiratory infection surveillance that happens at GP surgeries. They record swabs themselves uh, sometimes. So what have scientists and public health officials been saying about this approach? 
I think it's a pretty mixed picture, actually. There are definitely some scientists out there who will say, look, we're pretty much flying blind into this autumn and winter. And one of the reasons to be a little bit wary of that flying blind into the winter is that, you know, with flu, we essentially know what the flu season is. We know when flu will hit. COVID hasn't settled down into a seasonal pattern yet, and it might not. And so there is really that added uncertainty. And you've always got your eye on as the winter comes when the NHS is always under pressure anyway. Are we going to have a, a spike in COVID when we typically have a, you know spikes in other respiratory viruses at the same time. So I do understand that, you know, scientists are nervous about the winter ahead. That's totally reasonable, I think. Others will stress, though, that you can't have a lot of this surveillance stood up all the time. It costs money. You can probably be more precise about it. But yeah, at, at the moment, there is caution and a little anxiety about going into the autumn and winter with so little sort of intelligence, if you like, the situational awareness of what's going on with the virus. And as you said, the NHS during that time is always under pressure as the rates of respiratory viruses go up. And of course, we have flu jabs and that they get rolled out around this time of year. And the government decided that they would also roll out COVID vaccines to certain groups. But they've actually brought this programme forward now. So why have they done that? Yeah, so they've brought it forward a few weeks. It was due to start at the end of this month early October sort of time. And they brought it forward to start on the 11th of September in England. And that's because of the emergence of a new variant, which is called BA 2.86, BA 2.86. And very little is known about it at the moment, at least on how it will behave. But the genetics make you think, oh, this could be dodgy. This could be difficult. So as a precaution, the UKHSA and the NHS, they're going to roll out those COVID vaccines a few weeks earlier than they were planning to. And that will run in parallel with the seasonal flu vaccine as well. Let's dig into those uh, dodgy genetics a little bit more. So what do scientists actually know about this new variant so far? BA286 was first picked up in Denmark and Israel in July. And it's as the name suggests, it's a descendant of the BA2 Omicron sublineage, if you like. I mean, since Omicron first came along, pretty much, you know, all COVID has been Omicron. It's been so successful that now we're just looking at the sort of descendants of Omicron. This is one of those. And if you look at the genetics, it's likely, there are certainly suspicions that a variant like this that suddenly pops up with a lot of mutations compared to its parent, probably incubated in an immunocompromised patient. And so these are the kinds of patients where when they get infected with COVID, in this case, it would be in a BA2 variant, they don't clear the virus very quickly. And so it has a lot of time to mutate in their body and evolve as doctors, you know, throw various treatments at them. We've now seen in at least eight countries. And that is ranging from the UK. We found it in, in, in August. It's in the USA, in Sweden, Portugal, South Africa, Israel, Canada. I mean, it's, it's cropping up. It's, it's international, no doubt about it. And I know that scientists are paying attention to this variant because 
it does have so many mutations and it has spread to plenty of countries around the world. But for us in the UK, we've had a pretty robust vaccine rollout. And so a lot of scientists have also said we don't need to be that worried yet. But there are plenty of countries where the vaccine rates are still very low. So are these the places which are most at risk from new variants like this one? I don't know if you remember when the first Omicron came along and it was incredibly transmissible, but we all had a lot of you know background immunity and it seemed that the virus was inherently less dangerous, but it spread like crazy. And that was because it had a lot of mutations in the, in, in the spike protein, a lot more mutations, a big chunk of them, dozens, that were, were new. Now, what's interesting with BA286 is that that's happened again. The number of mutations it has on top of what we've seen before gives it that same gap as Omicron did on the original variant of, of COVID that came out. So that is why this variant is particularly sort of unsettling, if you like, at this stage. Now, it hasn't taken off yet, but coming to your question about you know which communities are going to be most hit by this potentially... A lot is going to feed into that. I mean, it's true there are countries that still have desperately low vaccination rates, but they probably do have quite high previous infection rates. And other things will come into play. The infections tend to spread in the countries and in the, the regions and in the, you know, the, the places where you have incredibly dense populations, lots of people living together in a small area, getting on trains together, getting on tubes together, working in offices that aren't well ventilated and things like that. And so you have to look at the full picture to see how well a variant is going to take off. It's worth saying, though, that with although this variant looks like, you know, the mutations suggest it will be able to dodge a lot of the antibody protection that we would have got from, from vaccination or previous infection, remember that that largely is about whether you get infected or not. You know, if you think about other arms of your immune system, like T cells, for example, they can recognize much smaller fragments of a virus. And so if you get mutations like this, the T cell response should still be able to take it down pretty effectively. Now you'll get infected, but that T cell response should help you avoid really serious disease and severe disease. So although I think, you know, especially a long time after a lot of people had a vaccine, I think, you know, infection rates are go could, could be quite high with this new variant if it takes off. But I don't think that's the same for severe disease. I think we still would hope to be able to bat off severe disease quite well. I know that the vaccinations are only going to be available to a select group of the population, the people who are most vulnerable. But say I wanted to get a private jab if I was worried about getting COVID, maybe I'll have some important events on over the winter. Would I be able to get one? At the moment, you can't get the COVID jab privately in the UK. But it's a really interesting question. I mean, obviously, the flu jab is available privately in the UK. You can buy a flu jab for less than £20. Now, the two vaccines that we use this autumn in, in the UK are the uh, Pfizer bivalent vaccine and the Moderna bivalent vaccine. Bivalent means they have a bit of the original COVID variant all the way back, you know, from 2019, um, an Omicron variant in there as well. Now, 
there's a question mark over how effective those will be if this BA286 takes off. But the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the JCVI, this is the independent committee that advises government on what it should do, what its vaccine programme should be for the for whenever, but for, in this case for autumn, winter. They've taken a pretty narrow group of people to make those vaccines available to freely. You know, 65s and over. Obviously, if you're clinically vulnerable, you're eligible. Or if you live with immunocompromised people, frontline healthcare workers, frontline social workers. But there is this, in, you know, the entirety of the healthy population, if you like, under 65 are not going to be eligible. And there's certainly some interest in making those available for people to buy privately. And, you know, I think sure the companies are interested in doing that. I think it's sort of the contractual commitments they have to government and not having sort of any deals done yet with the providers, the sort of, you know, the high street chemists and what have you, that just mean we don't have those available yet in the country. It's interesting how much they might charge them. I mean, if you look at what Moderna have been saying in the US, they're looking at charging about $130 a shot. You know, I think this should make people feel uneasy. The people who are eligible, who are healthy, are, are the 65s and over. So a lot of people, sort of 64 and under, who this applies to, it would definitely exacerbate the kind of qualities we've seen all the way through the pandemic where rich people fare better. They could afford to buy a COVID vaccine. Why not? 100 quid. I mean, that's a huge markup on the manufacturing costs, the reported manufacturing costs for these doses. So that is kind of a concern because, you know, I think a lot of people would really want these jabs if they were available. As somebody who didn't get their flu jab last year and then got the flu, <laughs> I, I really regretted that. And I think a lot of people would think, you know, I just don't want COVID and I absolutely want to rule out the risk of long COVID as much as I can. And so making these expensive is, is a real question here. I really agree with you. A lot of people getting COVID now aren't, you know, a lot of them aren't brushing off really easily or not even noticing they're, they're infected until they test. I mean, it can still make you ill and can still kill, obviously. And there's still the risk of long COVID. So I think there will be a lot of people who will be certainly interested in buying a private one if that's what it comes to. Well, Ian, it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months. So thank you for coming on as a guest to fill me in on everything. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks again to Ian. Science correspondent and friend of the podcast, Nicola Davis, has been writing some brilliant articles covering everything you need to know about COVID right now. And you can find those on theguardian.com. Now, before you go, I want to let you know about the chance to attend the very first live event from our sister podcast, Pop Culture with Shantae Joseph. On Sunday, the 17th of September, Shantae is going to be joined by the matchmaking expert, author, entrepreneur and television host, Paul C. Brunson at the London Podcast Festival. Together, they're going to discuss the dynamics of TV dating, the key to a successful relationship, and how pop culture plays a significant role in our love lives, whether we want it to or not. You can get your tickets to be there, either via the live stream or in person, now at kingsplace.co.uk forward slash popculture. That's kingsplace.co.uk forward slash 
pop culture. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by me, Madeline Finley, and Josh and Chana. It was sound designed by Joel Cox. And the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. 